Hello, and welcome to episode 139 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer Stewart. A warm welcome to Molly D, Jose S, Jenny N, and Krissa L to the Modern Manager community. I am so excited for you to explore all the benefits of membership, like our members-only Slack group, the episode guides, guest bonuses, and other special member perks. For those of you who are listening to the show for the first time, a warm welcome to you as well. And if you want to know more about membership, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. And if you work for a government or nonprofit organization, you get 20% off of any membership level. Now, today's guest is Dr. Paul White. Paul is a psychologist, speaker, and international leadership trainer who makes work relationships work. His company, Appreciation at Work, provides training resources for corporations, medical facilities, schools, nonprofits, government agencies, over 700 colleges and universities in over 60 countries. He is the co-author with Dr. Gary Chapman of The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, which has sold over 400,000 copies. Paul was also a guest on episode 99, Show Authentic and Meaningful Appreciation. But today we are going to talk about toxic behavior. We are going to get into the three components of a toxic workplace, how to navigate toxic behavior from your boss or your colleagues, what toxic behavior looks like in a remote work environment, and a whole lot more. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Paul, it is lovely to have you again. I think you deserve the honor of being the first guest that I have invited back for a second interview. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Good. I'm glad. Thanks. I'm glad to have that honor. So last time we talked about appreciation, which is the positive side of engaging with your colleagues and being in a, in a healthy environment. And today we're going to talk about the opposite, which is the toxic environment. So can you start okay. us out with just kind of a framing for how you think about what creates a toxic work environment? Yeah. And let me also just give the context of how this came up. So while I was out speaking and training on appreciation, people uh, would come up at breaks and afterwards and tell me nasty stories about how bad their workplace was or what a jerk their boss was. And so I wound up doing a poll and, and research uh, asking people to tell stories about uh, that side of things. And we were just overwhelmed. So I wound up investigating and, and then wound up writing a book and develop other materials and basically found that a toxic workplace, it, it's worse than just a bad workplace. I mean, toxic in the true sense of being unhealthy damaging and even deadly if you don't get out of there uh, really are comprised of three main parts. One is a sick system, meaning bad communication, poor decision-making processes, uh, not holding people accountable, multiple accountability reporting relationships that you don't really know who you report to, all that kind of thing that structurally that sort of play themselves out in hospitals, in government agencies, in universities, in social service places. So sort of, you know, more larger kinds of organizations often. Second component are toxic leaders. And these people are really nasty people. And then third are dysfunctional colleagues and people that just, you know, uh, don't function according to the laws of reality. And so they run into a lot of problems. So if you have those three things going on, you're in a pretty nasty workplace and uh, you got to figure out how you're going to survive and then potentially get out of there. 
so I'd never really broken down and thought about a toxic environment in those kind of three different ways. So I, I love that we're kind of first starting with this mental model, and then maybe we can figure out how to address each of those, both from the perspective of, if I'm the manager, could I be creating those environments? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then secondly, if I'm living through them, what can I do to survive and protect myself? So let's start from the manager's perspective and maybe walk through each one. So if we start with the system. Yeah. One, one of the key things that individual managers and supervisors and, and even employees can do is commit to direct communication rather than indirect communication. Indirect communication is sort of the hallmark along with negativity of a toxic workplace and indirect in the sense that you don't really tell the person what you mean. You sort of hint at things or you go around your direct supervisor to because you know they're not going to approve what you want. You go to somebody else or you complain to a colleague or another supervisor about your supervisor and it's all around the horn and it, it just it it makes for really nasty sort of tangles of communication and inability to, to resolve issues so one is commit to direct and i would say honest and honest does not mean totally open necessarily i mean because different levels of in the organization uh, have access to different kinds of information so it's not like you share everything but you don't want to get a pattern of you know, people not sure whether you're telling the truth or not, because that just <laughs> undermines trust, obviously, and being able to work together collaboratively. So, you know, whatever you say needs to be true, and it's okay to be silent. Sometimes you say, you know, I really can't share that or whatever, but uh, be direct with the person. So that, that's a good start. And, and if people would start with that, you, you're going to start to see some tension points, and it will also help clarify the issue of who's responsible for what because it's when you have that indirect and sometimes deceptive kind of communication that you're not sure who's supposed to be doing what and that's not a good way to run an organization well and i can imagine that if you're not sure kind of who who's responsible for what right that shows up a lot in decision making too and having those just direct conversations about who's making this decision or what role am i playing in this decision would clear up a lot of the frustration that people experience when their decisions get overruled or they don't make a decision and their boss gets mad at them for not making a decision or you know all that that tangle as you describe it and that frustration when there's not clear communications clear responsibilities right and and the context that that happens most in is in team meetings right or some kind of conference uh, with multiple people and and there's some simple steps to, to make it clear. One is when you're completing a meeting where some decision or action has been discussed, you clarify, okay, has a decision been made here and what is it? And who is responsible to see that the next step is done? Not necessarily that they're gonna do it, but they're in charge of making sure it happens. By when is that gonna happen? How are we gonna know that it's happening? In other words, the follow-up communication line those, then you are going to avoid probably, I don't know, I'll throw out a number, 80, 90% of all the problems that happen in team meetings where people leave and say, did we make a decision? And what was the decision made? And who's supposed to do what? And by when? And how are we going to know this to be done? If you will just not leave a meeting without answering those uh, issues, things will go a lot better for you. Yeah, I love those questions. And I would add one more, which is, are we the right people to be making this decision? Or is there anyone else who needs to be part of this decision in order for it to be 
like solidified because yeah, I've, I've seen so many teams where they make a decision and then the project sponsor or someone from another department hears about it and says, wait a second, you can't make that decision, which then totally derails everything. So just checking in to say, you know, does anybody else need to be in this decision before it can be called final so that you don't end up going halfway down the road to realize you have to turn around and come back? Yep. Yeah. Great point. All right. So let's talk about the second piece, which is toxic bosses or leaders. What mm-hmm. does that look like? Well, a toxic leader, I mean, we, the, you know, when I, I did this like five or six years ago before toxic became sort of just part of the, the you know, popular vocabulary, but it, it, these people are, are not necessarily incompetent. In fact, often they're very competent. An incompetent leader is somebody who doesn't know what they're doing or isn't implementing what they know. A toxic leader really is baseline a nasty person that they're only concerned about themselves. And one of the interesting things about toxic leaders, often they're very talented. They can be quite socially engaging. Otherwise, how did they become a leader? You know, I mean, how did they get into the position? And they often look good at the beginning because they sell well and so forth. But fairly soon, there's some sort of warning signs that go, it's like, you know, this doesn't seem to match up with what they're saying and what they're doing as far as our values and our direction and and. Initially, lots of times we give people sort of the benefit of the doubt, which I think is a good thing to do. But at some point you realize, you know, something's just not adding up. And, you know, toxic leaders, I mean, one of the key things is they really are, in the true, I'm a psychologist, you know, in the true sense, narcissistic in the, that they only think about themselves. And so as a result, whatever they're doing always has their benefit as the end. Um, now, they may use the organizational goals to get there, but it's to make them look good and, and receive perks and so forth. They also uh, use and manipulate people. People are essentially resources like a machine or a computer or whatever to get the task done. And so when you're around a toxic leader, you have to take care of yourself because they don't care about you. They're going to sort of use you up. And if you cease to have a purpose or meaning for them, you know, you're gone. And so you have to sort of be aware of that. They also uh, control information. They control what information is released, who has access to information. They distort information. They use and manipulate not only people, but the resources around them. Again, and lots of times they're very sort of engaging and sort of a rah-rah kind of person sometimes that help get other people on board and, and pour in resources to go the direction that they want to go. But ultimately, you know, it's about them. And, you know, you cannot, you do not want to make them look bad in front of other people. That is, you will not live long uh, in the organization doing that. And any kind of questioning is viewed as disloyalty and is called out that way, and they're very condescending and can make you feel a millimeter tall, even though you may be, you know, really quite competent. So, and, and then the last part, just, just they leave before th- things blow up. They really, they have sort of an early warning detection system <laughs> that they know when things are going south and they'll get out and they'll actually use their current position to leap to another organization, probably in a better kind of position often and so they're they're tough to track that way and and then the place you know fairly quickly will sort of 
dismantle. And it's important to know that toxic leaders aren't always at the top of the organization. I'm not saying all CEOs or, you know, directors or whatever. Lots of times they're, you know, across the organization in mid-management positions or even a supervisor of a department. It's this that they're leading others, but they're doing it in a very unhealthy way. So what do you do when you discover that, you know, maybe not discover is the right word, when you kind of realize that you're stuck with this toxic boss or you're kind of in this situation where the behaviors that this person is displaying and that it's just like you can't you can't work that way right like that's the experience right. i've had when i have a couple of clients who've been in those situations where they're like i can't do my best work i can't even like do my work in general because this person is making me so insane i'm so scared i'm so frustrated right. how do you get through that so a couple of things. One is it's really helpful to have a sounding board, somebody who they don't have to be within the organization, but somebody that you trust their judgment and sort of perspective on things that you can bounce things off and say, you know, this happened and that, that happened. And I'm feeling sort of queasy about this. You know, am I overreacting or whatever? And you need, because you do get fogged, right? Because they're sort of spinning lies and webs and you're not sure which end is up. And so you need somebody that's grounded that you can bounce ideas off of. Secondly, you need to do your job. And what's difficult is you can get pulled into the dynamics of this, you know, this is not going well, we got to get rid of this person or we got to change this. You get pulled into that and most of your energy and efforts are centered around that stuff. And you can look and they are also very good at making others look bad. You know, <laughs> they're sort of Teflon coated and can paste stuff on others. And so if you're not doing your job and you're involved in this other stuff, they can sometimes catch you and make you look like the bad person. So you've got to continue to do your work. You've got to document it. You've got to document it, send them an email after a meeting with them. You follow up and say, hey, this is what I understand you want me to do. Uh, this is my plan. If it's different than that, let me know. That way, there's documentation it's in their sort of quarter to be able to clarify that. And sometimes you have to have meetings with a third person there. And so it's not a, just a, you said, she said kind of thing. And you've got to remember that they're about them and you have to protect yourself. Uh, and that's really sort of the, the mantra for the day. Is there a point at which you suggest people walk away like they just need to get out or is it kind of sir, just keep surviving it'll pass like put up your defenses figure out your workarounds no 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 there are times to leave for sure in fact i wrote a little pamphlet it's called how to how to know when it's time to quit your job and the top indicators are really the first one is problem sleeping because when you stop sleeping lots of bad things start to happen in your body and your brain and it's sort of a downhill spiral from there. So if you're not sleeping well, uh, secondly, if you're having physical, medical problems along with, you know, emotional issues, uh, feeling depressed or whatever, you've got to pay attention to that. And trying to wait, these people have amount, an amazing amount of energy and they can outlast a lot of people. So there are just sort of warning signs that you, you need to realize you're not going to change the system. and also. Uh, the system, you're not needed for the system to survive. I mean, lots of times, especially if we've been with an organization for a while, you know, and we know lots of things and people, we think, man, you know, I'd really like to help save the organization. Do not go down with the ship. I mean, uh, it, it will survive. If it's supposed to survive, it will with or without you. And the organization doesn't give a rip about you. 
And so you've got to sort of have that perspective. It's not that the mission isn't important, but it, it's probably been distorted and it's not what it once was. So what if you're the leader of an organization or a business and you realize that you have a toxic manager in your midst? So mm -hmm. they, you know, maybe you've noticed now as you're listening to this podcast and you're like, oh, maybe that manager that, you know, got some bad reviews or that an employee mentioned some things that are, you know, were unhealthy. What do you do with this person when you're not reporting to them, but you're actually supervising them? Yeah. So, I mean, you have to do your homework and you have, and, and you don't want to act too quickly, but you want to document things uh, from multiple perspectives. And one of the things is lots of times these people are quite adept in their profession and are what we would call toxic achievers, that they get a lot done, but they kill everybody around them while they're doing it. I mean, they sort of have a revolving door around them as far as teammates and assistants. Uh, and you, so, so you have to set up their performance reviews based on not just, you know, how many sales they get done or donations or whatever, but also it includes collaborative work and, you know, appropriate behavior and communication and so forth because that you've got to have some basis to get rid of them but it, it's sort of in my part of the country i live in the midwest we have black walnut trees and they grow quite big and they produce a lot of walnuts but they have a toxin in both in their leaves and their roots that it kills everything around them and so the nothing that grows around a black walnut tree it just doesn't happen so you can either have black walnuts and nothing else or you can get rid of the walnut tree and have other things and when you have a, a truly toxic person, you need to get rid of them because they will continue to poison the environment around them. And you can, you can sometimes, you know, build a hedge around them, if you will. That tends to not work very well for very long because they're very demanding and they want special treatment and special rules and yada, yada. And it's best to get rid of it. It's sort of like, you know, a, a, a thorn that's got some toxic, you just got to get it out. Otherwise, it's just going to continue to create problems for you. All right. Now, what about if it's a colleague, right? This was the third piece. Is what if it's the other people on your team, the other people that you work with? Yeah. Yeah. So we call those dysfunctional colleagues and dysfunctional in a descriptive way. DYS means problem, functional. They have problems with functioning in life. And it's not usually just at work. It's, there's other sort of patterns in their life, whether they have chronic financial issues or repetitive relational breaks, uh, maybe drug or alcohol abuse or anger issues or whatever, that they just sort of don't accept and function some of the rules of reality that the rest of us try to, to deal with. Meaning, you know, we make choices, there are results from our choices, both positive and negative, that we're responsible for our choices, they tend to blame other people or make excuses rather than accept responsibility that we have to learn how to get along with other people, whether that's, you know, our supervisor, our colleagues, our customers, our vendors, uh, versus that it's always somebody else's fault. And that they also are really good at uh, sort of distracting from themselves and getting other people into conflict. It's sort of like, let's see you and them fight kind of thing. And they are, they are really masters of indirect communication and also distortion. They don't rarely tell the whole truth. It's sort of like if a worker sort of chronically shows up late to work and, you know, these are in the pre-COVID days, but, you know, it says, well, you know, the, 
the I-9 was just, you know, backed up terribly. Uh, and that may have been true, but they also forgot to mention that they left 20 minutes late, right? And so they give you partial information to mislead you. And you've, one of the key things they do is they're really help, uh, good at helping other people feel responsible for their actions so that if you're working on a team and you're supposed to be putting a project together and they don't really pull their weight or they're late, and they say, man, I really, it's like the night before and it's like, I need help, you know, getting this presentation together and you sort of help them out. Well, if you're not careful, you become sort of their enabler and helper and they consistently ask you to rescue them. And so, you know, we see them in different ways uh, in our lives. They're typically pretty self-focused. They're focused on image. They want to look good. They want to look successful. So they spend their time and energy on image rather than doing good and doing well. And they can schmooze some people some of the time, but, you know, after a while, it, it sort of becomes clear that they're not really getting things done the way that they should be. So any tips for how to manage or navigate with a dysfunctional colleague like that? Yeah, you have to set boundaries, and, and especially if you've helped them out. You need to go back and say, you know, I understand things happen. You know, and I'm you know, it's glad to help you out. I don't know if I say glad, but you know, I'm glad it worked out. But I just need to let you know, next time, if the night before, you know, it's not done, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rescue you. you you're gonna have to carry that. And if we go in with a partial presentation because you don't have it done, so be it. But I'm not gonna do that again. And so you have to draw lines because they will push the boundaries to where all of a sudden you're carrying the full weight, and you're feeling, you know sort of weighted down and also angry and stuck because, you know, it's supposedly a team. And so you've got to clarify who's doing what and, you know, show that you've done your part. And sometimes you also have to uh, just limit the amount of time that you spend with them because they sort of can be leech-like or pull you down with them um, when you're trying to help them out, but it's, it's pulling you away from what you need to be working on. Do you think that it's important to talk to your boss about a colleague who's acting in those ways, or is it something that's just best kept between you and that person? That uh, lies in the area of what we call wisdom. That <laughs> 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 sometimes it's best to talk, uh, sometimes it's best not to. I would say it's critical to have documentation and specifics rather than general vague comments like, you know, I, I do a lot of, you know, Jennifer's work or, you know, um, I feel like, you know, Bob's getting away with stuff and, and but you don't have any specific examples. If you, if you don't have specifics, you, you're going to get sort of caught in the web again. And I, I, and, and I wouldn't hold it and sort of dump a whole basket of things at once. I, it, I, it tends to go better if you just share observations and don't come to conclusions. Just say, you know, just want to let you know that on this last project that, you know, Jim did this part, I did this part, and then we had to sort of cover for Steve on part of it. Not sure if that's going to happen again, but just want to let you know. So you do that, and if it happens again in two weeks or three months, you'd let him again. So you sort of build a pathway of data that the manager can draw their own conclusion. I like that approach of just kind of, you know, giving almost like documenting along the way. Yep. Um, the other thing that I've seen work just to add to this is 
to try a couple things yourself. And if the behaviors continue to repeat, to go to your manager and say, I'm struggling with X, this thing around this person, right? Like we're struggling to work together. Here are some of the things I've tried. You know, can you help me out here? Can you help me figure out other ways to make this work? So you're not even like going to say, this person's a problem. You're saying like, I'm trying to do my best work here and I'm struggling to work with this person. Can you help me? And in, in that kind of conversation, you're obviously informing your boss that there's a problem here. Right. Right. Yeah. I love that. And it's an I message, right? So it's like, I'm struggling with this and uh, I could use some help. So it's always best to take that kind of posture and position rather than an accusatory one or a, a, you know, sort of a judgmental one. If you're going to vent, vent to somebody else, vent to a friend, you know, don't vent to your boss typically because they have a hard time filtering out the emotion to see, you know, what, what the facts are. Completely agree. All right. Now let's talk about the kind of new reality that we find ourselves in, which is working remotely. And do all of these or any of these behaviors around toxicity continue to show up even when we're not face-to-face and, and how do they show up differently or what do we do about them because we're not face-to-face? Yeah. Great question. And I don't think I, I know the exact answer for that. I have some, you know, inferences I can make. One is they're probably going to continue because you're still working together with the people and trying to get things done. So it's sort of their pattern of, of way of relating and getting things done. So it may diminish a little bit in intensity just because you're not there as and interacting as often, but on the other side, it can also sort of build up under the radar and then explode on you because you were assuming that there was honest direct communication and obviously you find out you were not getting all the facts along the way. So I think it's still there. I think um, the research that we're doing with working from home and remote employees is finding that it's just really takes a lot of effort to communicate clearly and work together as teams because, you know, you don't have that ability to sort of easily pull somebody, you know, into your office and say, hey, let's meet and chat about this and work this out. I mean, it becomes more formal and scheduled and as a result, it happens less, to be honest. And so I think, again, one of the key things is to really proactively work at communicating. And we did some research this spring with working from home employees and how they were doing it. And people who self-reportedly were doing less well emotionally with depression, anxiety, versus those that were doing better, the people that were doing better were proactively reaching out to colleagues and uh, not waiting to hear. And and I think that pattern has, has been there. And the other part of it that we found is that we need to proactively communicate at a personal level about life versus just work because you know trust and relationships are sort of within the context of a a total relationship and if you feel that somebody is interested in you and cares about you not just about the work you get done you're more likely to you know interact appropriately with them and trust them and so we really encourage people to Check in and see, you know, how would you do this weekend? And did you, you know, you got to go to a, you know, go sailing or you, one of your kids is playing, you know, distance softball or whatever it might be, you know, and be able to find out or if somebody's been sick and so forth. Because 
having that personal connection really makes the workplace relationships go better. But we don't have sort of the spontaneous opportunities to just stop by and chat or see them in the break room or whatever, where that usually happens. Yeah, I could not agree more. And it, it's so hard when we're sitting in a distance and, you know, in a meeting and the first half an hour is just all of us catching up and it feels like, oh my gosh, I have so much work to do. Why are we like sitting here and chatting? But the reality is, is you have to do that because if you don't, everything else gets that much harder. Right. It's just, we need those relationships. The other thing I want to, I want to jump in on is I've been telling people recently to try to send voice messages instead of emails and text all the time. Mm-hmm. There's, there's something that's, it's like the lost art of the voicemail, is what I'll call it. That when we write emails, and because so much of our work now is happening through the written word, it just, it feels like there are more miscommunications or there's, there's just not the same nuance that comes through and not everybody loves writing. And I've just, I'm discovering that a lot of teams are really struggling with how much of that communication is happening through text instead of through conversation when you can, as you said, like just turn and grab a colleague behind you. So I've been, I've been promoting to people to record a little voice message and send that by email so that at least the person can hear your tone, your style, whatever it is that needs to be conveyed in that message instead of having to write it out and leave lots of room for potential misinterpretation. So I don't know how yeah. you feel about that. No, I think that's a great suggestion. In fact, uh, I'll take it a step further. When we did research comparing how remote employees, and this is pre-COVID, but how remote employees like to be shown appreciation versus those that were on site, is a key factor was that they liked to connect at least occasionally by video. Now, you know, we have Zoom, you know, fatigue now, but even so, I think sending a text or talking uh, and saying, hey, when do you have, uh, I'd like to just catch up with you for 10 or 15 minutes, when would be a good time? Because we often don't want to do the spontaneous thing because we're not sure what they're doing and we don't interrupt them. But you set up a time and then we encourage people to do a video chat because there is that visual you know, messaging as well, a facial expression, so forth, to talk about the personal stuff, not about, you know, work. I mean, you could, but it's more, hey, you know, how you doing? And, you know, how about the Chiefs last night or whatever you want to, you know, talk about. And again, having that personal connection makes a real difference for people because, uh, yeah, I mean, w- even chatting and so f- and texting is very sort of linear and almost telegraphic in the sense of just minimal information and we don't get the full message. I could not agree more. Well, thank you again so much for coming back on the show and sharing all of your wisdom. I hope anybody who's listening who finds themselves in a toxic environment can use a lot of what you've described to help you know, address the situation. If you're finding that you're managing someone who's a toxic person, that this gives you the, the guts to actually do something about it. So um, thank you again. Yeah, and for you know, follow-up resources are sort of, mothership website is appreciation at work.com and it's the word at appreciation at work.com but you'll see a section on toxic workplaces and we have both a book and we also have some individual tutorials on each of those three sections of six systems and toxic leaders and dysfunctional colleagues that i mean they're 25 30 minutes that can walk you through how to manage those so those are available for people fantastic thank you so much you bet If you missed my earlier episode with Dr. Paul, episode 99 on appreciation, I highly recommend you give it a listen. And if you are a member of the Modern Manager community, Paul has made their Motivate by Appreciation inventory free. 
This assessment helps you discover your preferred language of appreciation and provides an individualized report and list of action items you can share with your team members so that they can hit the mark in showing you appreciation. To get this guest bonus and dozens more, go to themodernmanager.com join. Also, if you are interested in working closely with me in an intimate, intensive program to elevate your managerial skills, please let me know what topics and formats are most interesting to you. You can do this by pre-registering for free, which does not commit you to the program, but just lets me know that you're interested and helps me design the program to best meet your needs. And given that this is going to be a small, limited number of participant program, it reserves your seat so that if you do decide the program is the right one for you, you for sure can be part of it. Go to themodernmanager.com to pre-register. And as always, all the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter, which is at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.